0: You have to make 51% of the time the right decision. You're constantly making bad decisions, and you're constantly making good decisions, and you have to be making more good decisions than bad decisions, but you have to be willing to make decisions all the time.
1: From Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, it's Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. Today we sit down with Diane Abrazini riggs and Colin Riggs, co-founders of Rigorous, one of Vermont's most exciting and approachable robotics companies. Welcome, this is Sam Roach-Gerber and Dave Bradbury, recording from the Consulted Communications Technology Hub in downtown Burlington, Vermont. Hi, Colin and Diane.
2: Hi, Hi. thanks for having us. Welcome.
1: We're so happy you're here. This feels like overdue, doesn't it? It feels right. Yeah, it just feels right. I had to check like four times if we already did an episode with you guys. So I just realized we talk a lot.
2: We just haven't recorded it. <laughs> David did once refer to the time that we recorded an episode. Yeah, total. No way. Yeah. Total. See, so it's, it's not just well, me.
3: Well, I it with like the female founder's appearance and like, yeah. like those panels are so amazing and then this, like the mashup. I just haven't synced it up.
1: It's good. It means we're talking to these people frequently, which is... Well, it,
3: And they come back, which is awesome.
0: (laughs) We love coming back.
1: Amazing. So I just want to start, you know, your company is pretty new. So I want to talk about before rigorous. What were each of you doing before you started the company?
0: Sure, I'll start. Um, Before rigorous, I worked at uh, Green CIQ for about a decade. Uh, it's an underwater robotics company that specializes in deep sea uh, systems, so 6,000 meter remotely operated vehicles and 6,000 meter autonomous vehicles. Uh, but they also do a, a lot of um, Many other applications like jet boats and diver systems and they do navigation systems and control systems. And something that was really exciting when I was there is we we worked a lot with the Navy and uh, explosive ordnance disposal groups and, and special forces. And they would bring us these, these really novel projects. And, and we would also work with a lot of manufacturers of robotics. And so through that experience, I, I got this really amazing you know, I, I got to see how people did their mechanical systems, their electrical systems, and their software systems, and really form this strong opinion about how a strong robotics architecture uh, mm-hmm. can be very useful. You know, for for a lot of different people. So, cool. that's a little bit about my background
1: and Ben Kinneman, great great founder to learn from too.
0: Absolutely, and I got this really awesome experience for when it was us above a boot shop with just a small team, and and you know we really grew it from just a really tight knit you know, five ish people and, and to, to now when they're up to I don't know, eighty, hundred so people.
3: In Richmond, Vermont and a few other locations. Um, Ben says you you gave him the greatest uh, cover letter he's ever received. <laughs> like 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 you ran out the door, got a crayon and like a scrap of paper, and like wrote this I love robots because sort of thing. So, Mm -hmm. yeah,
0: that that was a different time. I I was in college (laughs) studying physics and and I just started a farm and it was in a totally different mindset of starting an advanced robotics company. But, but absolutely, we'll well, we'll get to that that. part of the journey in a bit. What
3: about you, do
2: So, my background's a little different. I had a first career as a vegetable farmer and I did that for about a decade and absolutely loved it. On weekends, I would run an edible landscaping business, and I'd build gardens for schools and campgrounds and restaurants. And then eventually, I started my own market garden and a wood-fired bakery called Mountain Seasons up by a smuggler's notch. And those were great formative experiences, learned a lot about managing businesses and teams. And then decided to formalize that education and went to grad school at UVM to do their sustainable MBA program. So that really put me on a different trajectory, more on the technology and manufacturing side. So I was working at some local Vermont startups, including VentureCo, in between that time. And then when Colin wanted to found Rigorous, you know, I wanted to jump on board too. Wow, that is... (laughs)
3: I didn't see that coming. Did I know you? it's like i
1: you've mentioned the farming to me before but I didn't realize that like that was what you did for a decade. That's crazy.
2: Yeah I was 1000% trying to be a vegetable farmer for the rest of my life and, and in retirement I'll probably bring it back.
1: Oh totally and did you is that why did you go to get your MBA to be a better farm farmer and or like what
2: was the impetus there? I mean, the impetus was I never figured out how to actually make a living. And part of it was,
3: that that,
2: I mean, that was the hardest part, honestly. You know, I think my approach to managing businesses, I do it because I love the work and the financial aspect didn't really occur to me until I started thinking about, well, how am I ever going to buy a house or start a family? Uh, So that really was the impetus for going back to school and kind of changing that trajectory a little bit.
1: Awesome. I think there's a lot of Vermonters especially that experience that, right? Like they have like the job they get right out of college and then they kind of have the realization of like, ooh, this isn't going to work. So totally. it's it's inspiring that you're able to make that transition.
2: And honestly, it was the best thing I could have done because spending my 20s doing something that I cared 100% about that wasn't about the money, but really about how I could advance my learning inside of a profession Set the foundation for what it's like to care about a job in this side of the world. And I think a lot of people miss that aspect of their professional development.
1: And did you, you said like when Colin wanted to start this company, you you were on board. Like, did y'all kind of always know that you wanted to build a company together?
0: Yeah, in in, in some ways, the second. Date that we ever had, we we kind of talked about this idea. I mean, it wasn't in the exact form, but we met in Richmond.
2: Spoiler alert: we're also married. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess we didn't. We, did, we
1: didn't specifically we mention said, that. Yeah, yes, yeah, we, we, uh,
0: but so so. Spoiler on our second date uh, before you know we we had talked about you know I was still at Green Sea and
2: I was consulting. And you were
0: consulting. I think you were consulting with Fresh Tracks at the time, even and well,
2: I would say I was interning with Fresh Tracks. Okay. So I was consulting a yes. nonprofit. Okay,
0: that that's. More accurate, and then, so, uh, but we had talked about it at the time. But we decided at the time that you know our relationship was more important, and that we wanted to wait at least a year before even talking more about it. But we had big ideas for uh, an agricultural business that used robots, and and um, and we loved to dream. And so, from the very beginning, we were always dreaming about the businesses that we were going to start. We didn't know the idea, and we didn't know exactly where we were going to go. We certainly didn't know we were going to be in corrugated boxes. Uh, but <laughs> but but here we are, and and and. And it's a really amazing experience. Um, It's hard, but it's great. Do you leave work at the office
3: now? Do you (laughs) you have a division or is it just sort of 24-7? No.
2: We've gotten advice that it's a good idea to have cutoffs, leave work (laughs) at the office, and we are working diligently to take that advice.
0: At times it's just so impossible because you both want to have the Excitement about what you're doing and be able to be talk about the exciting things, but at the same time, you don't want to. You know, the things that may be exciting for one might be the most stressful for the other, and so you know, you really have to respect those boundaries and have a lot. There's just an immense amount of communication to to start a business and be you know married and have a life and be able to separate all those worlds, but maintain the exciting things without stressing yourself out so much that you can't move forward. And so. We have a lot of conversations that are like, you know, right now I just don't want to talk about business, and so you know we try to respect those boundaries and just communicate when we're uh, we need some time to do something else besides think about the one thing that we think about most of the time.
3: Is that why you have the dog? Just so I gotta go walk the dog, right? That's a good little break to build it. Absolutely, we have a lot of
0: tricks like that, and it's helpful. It all comes down to communication.
3: So, um, Colin, I want to ask you this: Um, What do you love about robots?
0: Oh. <clears throat> well, there's a lot to love. Uh, you know, I, I think the infinite possibilities is really fun. I think unlocking things for small teams, like um, one thing at GreenState was so formative. It was a small group of people. were able to figure out this software that allowed us to make 10 times the systems in the same, number, the same year. And so there's just this potential. And you can really help a lot of people with that potential. And so it's just a really... That, that and I could sit and nerd out and write... Programs and try to you know you imagine what you want the robot to do, and then you spend all this time, and most of the time it doesn't work. You know, you, you, you try and try again, and it's the most honest thing that could ever happen because it doesn't work, and it's just a robot. So it's you, and you know you got to work and you got to work to figure out what's going on, and it's just this really fun puzzle. Is I think the complete other side to it.
3: No, Diane, do you share the same sort of fan craze? <laughs>
2: I mean, I love the benefits of robotics. You know, I think one of the systems that we do, it saves operators from loading like 8,000 pounds of boxes an hour. But if you look at also what Colin led at Green Sea, he was making robots for explosive ordnance disposal. So previously there would be divers who would have to try and resolve these mines that are left over from, from wartime. And so there are a lot of applications for robotics that I get really excited about. And I love to see the design process of idea-to-functioning machine come to life in front of my eyes. It's super inspiring.
3: Yeah. So Absolutely. You, you started to, to describe the box hopper, right, which is the corrugated box loading system. Can you talk about how that came up and why you launched the company with that? That product, please.
2: Absolutely. So our first product was actually for slate manufacturing, and it was a vision and control system that identified a rough cut piece of slate, picked from a bank of pick orders what size that needs to be, and then it would pick up the piece, take it to a saw, trim off the edges, and then put it back on the conveyor belt. We showed this video to the owner of a corrugated box company that we personally knew, And she basically turned to us and said, "Mm, I need this exact thing except a little different. And can you do it? And we thought she was joking, honestly, at first. So we started having conversations with her to learn about their need, figure out, you know, from a market research perspective, where do you see robotics helping your business? And as these conversations progressed, you know, we got more confident that we could do the job. And that confidence came through, and they got more confident that we could do the job. And so they said, all right, let's do it. Let's do a research and design contract and stand us up a system that hits our requirements. And so that moved us from we're working from home in our house to, holy cow, now we need a facility to put in a 13-foot-tall robot.
3: Awesome. And you were for a time the robot company from Fletcher, Vermont, which I'll just <laughs> never forget.
2: Robot company in the woods. Absolutely. Uh, and that was our first spot. Honestly, we have to give a huge shout out to Bob Lesnikowski at Vermont Cranberry Company. He gave us space in his own personal machine shop. And without it, we could have never bid the project. Right. And without getting that project, we never could have secured a space of our own. So That was a real incubator for us.
1: Yeah. Are are you happy that you like started that way? I mean, it seems like a really good way to like test things out and like how you work together, creating a product, like finding space and getting scrappy. Like I can't imagine starting now that you've done it this way. I can't imagine you starting any other way.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I can't imagine starting any other way. And I don't think there was really an opportunity for us to start any other way. Right. And so, you know, the obstacle is the way it very much defines our business strategy. You know, we make a strategy based on what resources we have available at a certain period in time.
1: Totally. So, you know, I I described your your company as approachable. And I, that's something that I want to dig into a little bit because I think we think of robotics, especially for small and medium sized manufacturers and businesses as out of reach, way too expensive, complicated. Why do you want to change that? And how are you going about doing that?
2: So we really see robotics as an opportunity for manufacturers to, find efficiencies, to retain their workforce, and to provide professional development opportunities for that workforce. And we've seen that in some of the largest companies in this country and across the world. But the small and medium-sized manufacturers who don't have an in-house robotics team have not been able to effectively leverage robotics to meet their business goals as often because it's a lot of different niche challenges. So a lot of these are one-off designs. Um, And also they just don't, Have the full robotics expertise in house to troubleshoot or debug or add new features to a system once it's installed. So, that endless flexibility of robotics becomes a barrier to a lot of companies. And so, we really see robots leveraged for business goals when they're operated like machines. You know, these companies, they're familiar with large industrial machines, they operate and purchase them regularly. And the difference between a machine and a robot is really that purpose-built design. It's built to do one job exceedingly well, rather than a variety of jobs, however well one person can program it. Mm -hmm. And so when we install a system, we install it like a turnkey machine so that operators are familiar with the controls, so that there are safety features baked in, so that someone can't push a button accidentally and have something happen that was completely unexpected and dangerous. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these things, we fully think them through as if they're a fully baked machine product. Uh, and I think that's really the difference. What manufacturers need is reliability and to know exactly what they're going to get.
1: It To me, what I love about that is it's so clear that you talk to your customers a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, right? Because they know these problems better than anyone else, right? And so if you can kind of solve that problem for them before the robot is even there, that's ideal, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's something that we we love talking to manufacturers because they all have very common problems across, you know, robotics. And understanding those problems is, is just made a huge difference in how, you know, we think about what robotics really should be. And so for us the emphasis is always on the operators, the people who really use it. And day to day, what are their struggles? And how do we make a tool that helps them do their job better? And so talking to people has just been, yeah, it's been the most insightful part of all of this. And so, so much about our business is really listening to the needs and, and building out these capabilities. And our philosophy has always been, start with the needs. Uh, from From day one, we built systems based on customer requirements, and we continue to do that. And we think that's really what's, we're listening to them. We can be the robot experts in the room, but they're the corrugated box experts. They're the injection molding machine experts, and so we've had a ton of luck partnering with industries uh, and, you know, really understanding robots and working really closely with them to understand corrugated boxes or or the industry itself. I've
3: heard you describe that you're focused on. The dull, dirty, and dangerous, right? For for applications with your robots, mm-hmm. and provide software and hardware. So, just talk about the software, hardware. Uh, you know, is one more the problem for a small business or manufacturer to to take on this investment and operate, or the other?
0: I'd- yeah, absolutely. It's software. You know, hands down, it's software. So we visit. Uh, you know. A lot of manufacturers, we ask them all the same question, you know, what what is the biggest challenge in bringing robotics into your facility? And they all say software. and And we've we there's you know there's there's information out there. Something on the tune of sixty percent of the cost of getting these systems up is the software. And a lot of this has to do with the bespoke nature of programming. Where you have, you know, your PLC expert or you have the programming expert who's there and they're the one who who designed all the software. A lot of times it's from you know from scratch. Sometimes they're not very complicated, but sometimes they're extremely complicated. And you end up with one person who really understands this, even at larger companies. And if that person isn't available to fix a problem, your system's down. And so it, it causes a lot of excess downtime. And also just the fact that they're not using things that have been tested before. They're rewriting code from scratch. And then depending on how advanced uh, their frameworks are and how how many different things, people will leave these side effects in their code that they're not aware of. And these side effects can be things as simple as, uh, you know, we refer to this as this kind of like, this latching startup problem. But you can imagine somebody goes to start a machine and they push the start and it doesn't start. And so they walk away, they're like, oh, this, this machine doesn't work. And then somebody else comes over, you know, maybe an hour later and they plug something in and that resolves this can startup condition. Then the machine just starts. And so we've seen a lot of these machines that will just kind of start themselves up uh, after hours because somebody plugs something back in. And, and those are extremely dangerous. And so we're finding these things where people are leaving these little artifacts because they think, oh, a PLCs, you know, it's really easy to program and I can maintain it. But at the end of the day, they're getting hit hard in throughput, and they're getting a lot of excess downtime. And they have this one expert. If they're not around, uh, they just can't maintain their systems. And, and that is that core problem that we're really excited to, to solve, where where we can help manufacturers stay up by by being their partner. In we're the robotics experts, and we don't expect them to become a robotic expert, but we do expect them to have. Uh, you know, we we work really closely with maintenance departments and their operators, and our our technology allows us to to get on, you know, to, to see exactly what they see within minutes, uh and, and to really have those kind of conversations in real time, which which really changes that. It allows us to again to to be that kind of robotic expert that they can leverage whenever they need. You're listening to Start Here, a podcast from Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies. VSET is a public benefit corporation serving Vermont businesses from start to scale. We provide no-cost strategic business advising for any business owner, regardless of stage or industry, as well as venture capital for early-stage tech or tech-enabled businesses. You can find us online at vset.co. That's V-C-E-T dot C-O. If you like what you're hearing, please help us out and rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast today. Now, back to the show.
1: So Boxhopper is a great example of like you took on this project, solved this problem for this company, and then we're basically able to take that product and sell it to other similar companies. Is that how you're continuing to approach your product development? Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: That's exactly our approach to product development. And so the Boxhopper is a great example. So we installed the first one in November of 2022. Uh, We sold the next two the following spring. So those will get delivered at the beginning of 2024. And now we're talking to companies about an iteration of the box hopper that will work for them. So we're talking about feeding different machines in the same plant or feeding larger format blanks instead of the size range that we currently have. So all the needs are slightly different, but the core is the same. And so we're able to reuse all those modular components And meet more of the market. Which means your
1: margins are going up because there's less upfront work for you to design the software.
2: Exactly. And it totally changes the type of team that we're growing as well. You know, we have amazing design engineers on our team, but now we're adding production support and uh, customer service, you know, different elements to make us a robust technology and manufacturing business and really leverage all of that work that our design team has put in. So
3: cool. Maybe just talk about the team then. Why, why you brought it up? What? It, how many folks today? How fast has it grown? And where are you finding them?
2: So we're a team of eleven today. Uh, we are four on the business side and seven on the engineering side. Um, we started in 2020 as just Colin. 2021, I joined full time, and then we hired our first employee. Last year, we finished the year as a team of five, and now we're a team of 11. So, you know, it feels like fast growth <laughs> for us. That's um, crazy. Doubles every year. Doubles every year, yeah. We'll, and we're planning to double again next year, so we'll see, <laughs> we'll <laughs> see if up. we can hit that and keep it up. Exactly. That's uh, so and cool. how are you
3: finding folks? Or are you, What's your sort of view on the, the talent available?
2: So a lot of the positions on our team have been filled by people that we've had professional relationships with. And that's been extremely helpful. Uh, A few people from Green Sea. And then also there are other technology hardware companies in this area like OnLogic that do a great job of training their team. So we have a few former OnLogic employees as well. Um and and I, I just want to touch on that because I feel like this people ask us a lot about like the
1: ecosystem and how do you know it's healthy and like because there's people like Lisa and Roland that train people that give them the skills and the expertise to level up and then are stoked when their people get other jobs at places like rigorous. And I think it is a wonderful thing for startups. It's a wonderful thing for our business ecosystem. Um, and it just it's exciting because it brings new people to the area knowing that they have options as well.
2: Absolutely. We really benefit from the fact that companies like OnLogic and GreenSea were founded 10, 15, 20 plus years ago and have been steadily growing here. You know, that definitely affords us different opportunities with workforce, but also with being able to learn from companies that came before us that they didn't have quite the same opportunity when they started.
0: Totally. Yeah, and something really special at Vermont is just the willingness to help. You know, it does feel like a team. It doesn't feel like Vermont is in competition. It's in, you know, it, it, it's this sea of plenty that everybody can work together and and really help each other. And, and and that's been another really, you know, it doesn't feel like we have a great relationship with Green Sea and OnLogic and, and these companies. That and and cut it, it's, it's not cutthroat. Like, yeah. oh, I got you know, it, it, it it's just this really amazing collaborative. And you know we felt so supported in our early days, and continue to feel supported as we still feel like it's our early days. But uh, and and is and so it, that's just a. An amazing part of Vermont, and it's I think really unique and special.
1: I think I see. I saw like on your LinkedIn, you like announced a hire, and then like someone from OnLogic was like, "Amazing! This is so cool!" And I was just like, "This is a- And
3: Chelsea Allen, like the secret weapon of startup land, <laughs> right, is with you guys now. She yeah, was with Pony, absolutely. and then Green Sea for a bit. So, all right, let's just imagine there were a competition between Green Sea, OnLogic. <laughs> you at rigorous for the battle bot war. Mm, mm-hmm. oh. Which team would win? Quick.
0: It's easy. It's us. <laughs> Why? Why? Uh, because our robots are bigger and more powerful than either of those companies. Um, <laughs> okay. I think it's just <laughs> okay. it just comes down to basic physics. You know, they, they make smaller <laughs> systems. We make huge industrial ones. So yeah. I, I think what if we were in Water. I think sea has got us unfortunately. I got to admit it. Cuz our logic
3: they, does uh, you know they're, difficult they're actually environment in the, stuff. Space, and in you know, space and we didn't bring up logic.
0: AI yet because you know, I, you know, really it's their computers that that power both of our systems yeah. in, in a lot of ways and so okay, they they may ultimately be We'll get back to that. That yeah, could be yeah, a sound. I, I was quick to come off that but Sorry, I love the
1: confidence mm. Dave is yeah. stirring the pot <laughs> it, <laughs> it
3: was uh, getting ben, too Ben, Lisa, Roland
0: <laughs> and you too you know, I uh, love it's it. a competitive group so I bet everybody feels strongly about them I, uh, it's gonna be the it's gonna be
3: the <laughs> high school uh, robot students in Rutland that will oh, the first beat everybody. Absolutely. Beat everybody. Yeah. So we know and, and it'll be something that none of us had imagined. And, and, yeah, exactly. Right. Sorry, Sam.
1: No, it was getting a little too chummy for you. I get it. <laughs> yeah, it,
3: it is. It is pretty friendly. So <laughs>
0: um
1: can you all talk to us a little bit about uh, your capital path and why you decided to take on investors. And I have to say you Diane, you are the most knowledgeable farmer when it comes to venture capital that I've ever met.
2: <laughs> There's a lot of overlap. So I see that it was very competitive for yeah. you to say that. So thank you. Um, yeah, so actually after grad school, I interned at Fresh Tracks and then I worked at Ventrico, which was a tech startup, but they were also a broker dealer. So I was able to work in finance for a few years before coming into this company, and that was really helpful both for building relationships and also just understanding what we were getting into and what the pitfalls to look out for were. And so we ran rigorous for two, three years, sorry, three years before we raised any outside capital. We were working largely off customer funding. We were doing jobs. Those jobs were successful, and we got paid for them, and that was great.
3: And and didn't you have SBR grants, too? Did you have some government We had a
2: USDA grant uh, to do a greenhouse robot, actually. We're just finishing up the final report for that program now. So that also is one of our first projects in collaboration with Jericho Settlers Farm, and that was processed and funded through Northeast SARE, which is a great program out of UVM. Um, And so we were largely doing customer funding and that had kind of a one-for-one scaling factor for how much design and engineering work that we could put in. So once we had our first system in the field and we wanted to productize it, we knew that we needed to invest in our team and our capabilities ahead of what we were delivering. And so in January of this year, 2023, we started uh, fundraising and raised enough capital to kind of get us through about a year and a half, uh, which is our next milestone to set up the box hopper as a product and establish a foothold in the corrugated box market.
1: Because you knew, you know, you could continue what you're doing forever, basically, but never scale.
2: Exactly. If we had, yeah, it would have been slow growth. It would have been a very small business team and it would have largely been a design shop, which would have been super fun, but it wasn't necessarily the vision that we had for the company.
1: It's I I love that you took that approach because it was so obvious, right? That if if you want to get to this next level, venture is the right way to go. And I think sometimes companies try to make that decision too early when they don't mm-hmm. actually know the trajectory of the company.
2: Absolutely. I think if we took capital any earlier, it would have just confused us or we would have spent it in ways that didn't help the vision for what we're building. Um, and it made us very scrappy and very efficient. You know, I think our team is grateful that we're not returning to that time anytime soon. But the lessons learned by going through it, those will last a lifetime.
1: Yeah,
3: I can tell they're rolling in it now cuz they got the fancy hoodies. So. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: we started big. I, I mean, yeah, in so many ways those early efficiencies are things that we, you know, we we're really passionate about continuing on. I mean, we we really have this kind of lily pad approach where you know, we started doing research and development and we were successful at that, we were profitable at that. And now we're trying to get to products and you know, once we're successful and profitable at that, uh, you know, we have a larger team that can support products and and then we can just look You know, our plans go to infinity and beyond. And and so as we scale, you know, we're really looking into our software platform and and bringing that out as our next kind of exciting lily pad that we hope can help medium-sized companies maintain robotics at scale. And and so it's just a really exciting time for us.
1: And that's... I wonder because I think one of the most exciting things about your company is there are so many applications. Like I'm sure the conversations that you have with people when you're talking about your company is can you do this? Can you do this? And you're like yes, yes, yes. How do you kind of like pull back the reins and <laughs> it seems like maybe it's Diane's job um to to like, you know, like slow your growth and focus on the things that you can do in the next 6, 12, 18 months.
0: Yeah, I mean it it it's it's awesome. I mean, you're exactly right. There's people coming to us with tons of different problems, and we really try to look at them from a number of categories. I mean, I mean, some of the most important, you know, immediately are just return on investment. Like, is that there, you know, and is this robot going to pay for it and be a meaningful tool for you? You know, another thing that we use to really evaluate these are are is there that kind of scale and that product, you know, potential productization path that that follows? Because we invest a ton into research and development, and research and development just doesn't have a lot of margin or room in it. and so when we do that, we invest a lot. So, so we try to be as particular as possible to for our customers, you know, because it's to their benefit ultimately. When there are a lot of there's there's an ecosystem of box hoppers, and and when there's an e- ecosystem injection molding, and so we're actually very. At at this point, we need to be very particular about the projects that we take on. We take on very large projects, and we need those projects to last ten to twenty years. I mean, I, I mean, the <laughs> lifetime of they don't the project themselves doesn't, but the technology sits in the field for that long. And so, we are slow and steady, trying to really understand industries and be mm. industry partners. And, and so, that alone, you know, it, we we would love to work on the variety that that research and development can really offer. But we think the robustness for our end customers is is just. Of the most important, and the way to really do that is to to really focus in on certain types of products and certain product categories, and 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 ultimately, um, just segments of industry that 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 are overlapping, so that we can really understand corrugated box, and we can really be a partner for that industry uh, in both you know understanding AI that's coming up, and also both you know delivering systems, and, and so we really value those relationships, and <clears throat> it does help filter. We, we really can't take very small, disparate projects. Yeah. Yet. yet, Yet. You know, as our technology matures, we'll be able to expand that portfolio. But right now we're hyper-focused on specific industries. And and that does a lot of the filtering for us.
1: So how do you, you know, in this early stage when you are going deep on certain industries and wanting to be an expert in those fields, how do you hire for sales?
2: (laughs) I mean... Sales has to be a generalist because those industries will change. Uh, So we really looked for someone who was critical at relationship building and who could ask great questions and do a lot of market discovery. You know, a lot of the sales role starts before you would traditionally think the sales funnel starts. Um, And I think the experience of selling for rigorous is likely unique for other companies around here because You know, you have to learn robotics and come from the point of view of you're a subject matter expert in that field. And you also have to understand all of these different industries that we're selling into. But if you have people who take that approach, you know, it's a much longer sales cycle. It's a much more one-on-one, personally getting to know a wide variety of people, even within the same company, let alone industry. When you find someone with that partnership model, that's what we're trying to scale on the sales side of things.
1: That's so cool, and and someone who's generally like curious, right? Because like, there's a lot of learning that goes into that.
2: Absolutely. If you talk to these people and you just try to or to our prospective customers and you just try to sell to them what we've already developed and not really dig into what their pains are, what their problems are that they're trying to solve on a day to day level then you're not offering any value to them. And so we definitely take a provide as much value as possible during the discovery phase. Help them set themselves up to be able to determine if they're ready to take on a robotic project, if they're ready to maintain a system like this, and if they have all of their requirements listed so that they know how to communicate what their needs are. That's so cool!
1: <clears throat> Ooh, a little frog in my throat. I know, right? That's very it's pretty cool. inspiring, isn't I, it? Yeah, I, mean, I got jazzed on that one. I
3: know. It's God. He comes so far, like Stone Carrell having a beard <laughs> yeah, with, with, so with you too yeah, yeah. uh, during COVID. Oh, like, yeah. hey, we're thinking about we're this. this. I'm like, thing. <laughs> I'm like, who are these folks? And talking about hoop houses and gantry robots <laughs> and all the rest. Um, is there any? Any project on the horizon that you're really excited about that you can you can share publicly or like like we it kind of sucks we have to ask what's next. Cause, <laughs> Cause what is is awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So 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 a product that we're gonna launch in 2024 that we're really excited about is is part tender. And so part tender, and we're really focusing on injection molding. And so we're we're kind of focused on that advanced capabilities side most often for robotics, things that are pushing the boundaries of what uh, these kind of advanced systems, but not so far that people are uncomfortable. So so for injection molding, uh, there have been gantry-style robotics and robots attached to injection molding for years. But they're limited in the complexity of what they can do in, in some regards. And so we're really excited to, to be launching a new product that allows kind of the six-axis really uh, – Mobile, you know, very very dexterous. They can do a lot. They're a little bit slower, but because they're so mobile, they can actually add processing before and after the, the which is a bit of a um, added complexity. That's cool. That's a novel. really big so,
3: business. Are folks coming to you with that kind of problem, and, or what was the genesis of that? I mean, through your market research, Diane or.
2: Well, we actually started, as we start most programs, through a custom R&D program with another company. And that company wanted something very specific. And when we were walking through their problems, we realized okay, this is actually a much bigger problem. So we're going to separate this project. Everything that's custom for the company, we're going to put in this bucket. And then anything that we want to develop on our own dime and retain for future products, we'll put in this bucket. And so we mapped out the projects to run so that when we installed the first system in the field in September of this year, August, September of this year, we now already have a functional example. But now we're talking to other injection molding companies about what does your tooling need to look like? What size is your product mix? Things like that so we can figure out when we launch the product next year, what's a generic application that can fit more businesses than just one who needed something hyper-specific.
3: That's so cool. I, I want them to just come run... Our organization for a little bit, Sam. We,
2: we would could be trade a- for a day. <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> think that's oh a boy. good idea. <laughs> oh
3: boy, we don't want we don't want that. I don't
2: think that's a good idea.
1: Um, so you've mentioned a couple, you know, a couple resources. i as we've been talking, you've mentioned like UVM and Fresh Tracks and stuff. But I'm just curious, and I think folks find it helpful to talk about some of the resources in Vermont that have been helpful as you've started and scaled the company.
2: Well, I mean, I probably should have said this when you asked how we found a lot of our talent because actually a lot of it has come from VSET. We've gotten three referrals now. Uh, two have turned into critical team members. One may turn into a critical team member uh, this summer. We'll see. Oh, can cool. edit that part out. I feel like this is weird <laughs> for me to say that. So <laughs> I'll call yeah. my mulligan on yeah, that yeah, one. Right. Yeah, but yeah. we'll say, you know, we've hired two critical team members both who have come from VSAT. And for a team of 11, you know, that's a pretty good percentage.
0: All the introductions and, you know, tons of support whenever we have a question. And so, yeah, we, we, have, to, we Aww, have to give guys. you a lot of thanks. Because we love Gosh. VSAT and you provide us a- any time, you know, we, we need something, You're always there. So we really appreciate it.
3: Well, we just want a hoodie. (laughs) I'm working on it. We want a hoodie, and I. Well, we should uh, we should disclose to our listeners too. We are an investor in the company as well. We're part of that that round that 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 started, and thrilled um, to be a a part of your journey.
1: I believe um, Dave actually was quoted saying, "I would back Diane with a creamy stand." Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Round yeah. two. Yeah. was like, you had, to, you had to have
3: maple creamy offer. Yeah. Well, and, and no maple cream is not a maple. That's cream, a dot. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's seriously. Uh, yeah. You 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 two just come across. You know, there takes different personalities and skill sets to build a company. You two are very complementary, and you overlap in the right places. You, it clearly. Earlier, they told us they know when to leave each other alone and go walk the dog, <laughs> um, and and that's just so um, important at the at the early stage. And and I think, you know, you you highlight a little bit about your model for growth has been hey, we could take a lot of money, we could go and raise 8 or $10 million, say we're going to take on the world all at once, scale up, flame out, You know, struggle. That wasn't a path you, you chose, right? You, you knew you needed more product market fit time, more development time, and sort of have, have phased it out. And I think that's smart, that lasts, that sustains, and that creates a lot of value and, and, and purpose. So good for you. There was no question, Dave. You softy, <laughs> such yeah, a softy. You had me a creamy. Yeah, uh, I'm like hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: what? So you know, a lot of our listeners are sort of aspiring entrepreneurs, people that one day hope to start a company. Um, what do you wish you had known before you started rigorous? Is there anything that you would have maybe done differently? No, you nailed it. I
0: love know. They're negotiating. It's funny, funny because first. you just, <laughs> you just, you don't know what you don't know, and and I I, I I don't think that's. It's like you get into it, and you have to be open minded, and you kind of just go. You have. You, you know don't what have to have it all for. figured out. You don't have to have it all figured that's out. That's great But you have to be willing to always be responsible. You know, and there are things that just. You have, you know, so, some of the advice that we got early on, which I think. We, we we talk about it at least weekly is you have to make fifty one percent of the time the right decision, and, and so but that other forty nine uh, or, or or what or higher or higher yeah and, and so <laughs> I, I mean essentially you're constantly making bad decisions and you're constantly making good decisions and you have to be making more dis- good decisions than bad decisions, but you have to be willing to make decisions all the time and, and not making decisions and getting stuck is, is, is some of the most, but ultimately we did make a lot of bad decisions, but we also made more good decisions. And, and at so least you
1: made one, right? We so I, made decisions. I think that's, you touched on that a little bit and I, I think that's exactly right. I think it's where the issues end up being is when you're kind of paralyzed with fear of not making the right decision. So you don't make any decision.
2: Well, I think the reality that doesn't get shared as much when you're starting a business is that it's not only hard, but it's extremely risky. You know, you really put your entire financial situation on the line, whether it be a home that you own, whether it be just the fact that you're going to work for two years and not really turn a salary. I mean, all of these things really mean that you want your business to work out, and so it can be a ton of pressure, but it is what you sign up for. Is Colin
1: crying right now?
0: (laughs) Well, I will say that recently we've been asking other entrepreneurs that have been in this world for much longer than us, we say, does it ever get easier? And recently they all said no. It just mm-hmm. gets different, bigger. Yeah, it's tougher to sell your company than it is to build it. So it w- at the end of this arc, if, yeah, if that's yeah. the goal or not, But, totally yeah. right. but no, the problem, the decisions you make just have more impact, and the amount yeah. of money that's involved just gets larger. And 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 ultimately, you have to kind of find peace with that. And then I think that we're on that journey right now, and we're well on the way. But it is—it's just really hard, as it turns out, for a lot of different reasons. But it's also the most rewarding thing. That that we've ever done, and, and gives us this opportunity to 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 build these amazing things that help a lot of people. And so, at the end of the day, it's absolutely worth it, and it's just this like really amazing opportunity to grow ourselves. But but there's just no hiding behind the fact that. <laughs> It's terrifying and really hard. Uh. <laughs> well, ro- That's what we want. Yeah. Robots should be hard. Yeah. Right? Otherwise, I'd be doing it, right? Yeah. You don't want that.
1: It's, this is precisely why I don't have my own company. Oh,
3: <laughs> my God. I can't wait to sponsor like a robot team to go after this battle of the bot thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Who yeah. would
1: you back? Oh, wow. The, the kids, right?
0: The first robotics uh, team, yeah. So I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd look for
3: a team, I, I, the robo-rattlers we've been supporting since like inception okay, down yeah, there. I like, and, yeah, I don't know yet, but we definitely would sponsor it. I mean, heck, mm-hmm. we sponsored a sled dog team for a few years as well because we'd like those entrepreneurs. Yeah, so. that's very you know, adjacent to ideas. technology. I like it. Uh, it's going to be really fun. All right, we'll work on that one. Sam, <laughs> we got to get to the, the wrap-up question. Yeah, you go for it, Dave. Okay, magic wand. Mm. Superpowers. You each get to... To give a short answer, please. If you could change one thing in Vermont, what would you change? Diane. And this is when we cue the music in post-production.
2: Yeah. I feel like this is Take the end of time. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and I'm supposed to have <laughs> some like brilliant, <laughs> hilarious quip for the sign-off.
3: Uh, we've had red, was it red pandas? Yeah. How'd Traffic happen, lights and- someone wanted on Spear yeah. Street. Yeah. We've had, you know... Hunger and health and all the
2: public transportation to the rural communities. Great, um, love it.
0: Colin, reminds me a little bit self serving uh, for us, but you know I would love a robotics and autonomy lab. I would love to go to a place where you know the kids can you know, all come together and like you know students the university level and professionals could meaningfully. Uh, you know, advance robotics in this area at kind of that level. And and I I think there's actually some momentum in the area for this. And so I kinda wanna keep pushing this out a little bit, but robotics and autonomy are super important for our local economy and growing that skill set and that ecosystem around here I think would just be really amazing. And I I think there are a number of companies like that. We might be able to do
1: that. We might be able to make that happen. And all the folks from rural areas will will get there, right, Diane? Right. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Well, well, you know, part of it could be like you could log in too from the rural areas, and like have like there's like remote telemetry areas where like you know the rural could maybe come in and plug in, and so that's uh, we, we love it. I think the robot, the robotics in the woods groups out there, yeah, that, exactly. that you know, they'll have access.
1: Heck yes,
0: Colin
3: and Diane, thank you so much for coming in and sharing this part of your journey. It's I can't wait to come back in a couple of years and see what they've done
2: oh we'll see you next week <laughs> okay or next or next week that's true right We're Gonna be it.
3: all right this has been start here a podcast sharing the stories of active aspiring and accidental entrepreneurs the series is supported by the vermont technology council and consolidated communications let's go build a robot sam